<laughs> hey, welcome to the third week of our series that we're calling Covenant. Today I want to talk to you about Angry Birds. And uh, if, believe it or not, Angry Birds are in God's Word, I promise you, right? So let me uh, give you a recap of where we've been so far in the series, and then I'll um, hopefully tie all this in to a silly iPhone game, and uh, hopefully all of you will remember it, right? Uh, so here's the plan. Uh, in week one of this covenant series, we looked at Genesis 15, and in Genesis chapter 12, um, God gives Abram uh, an incredible promise that his descendants will outnumber that of the stars in the sky. Uh, And then in Genesis 15, he also says that you will take possession of a particular land for that people, for all of your descendants. And Abram says uh, he believes that, in fact, God will will make him uh, the father of many uh, descendants. But he also asks, once God promises the land, he says to, to God, how will I be sure? How can I know for sure that you will provide this land that you've promised? And what we talked about in the first week of this series is that it wasn't just enough for God to promise that and, and, and form that on the foundation of his word. But actually what God says in response to Abram's question is, go and get a heifer. And this is covenant language. And it's a way of God saying, I am now going to enter into covenant with you. So if you want to know how you're going to possess this land, it's a way of God saying, let me prove it to you. I'm not just going to be a a man of my word and promise this to you, but I'm actually going to bind myself to you in relationship. So what we learned the very first week is that God is relational. He loves you. He wants to be in relationship with you. God is not just a vending machine. God is not just a a cosmic force that's kind of impersonal over sitting over the, the seat of the universe. God is personal. He's relational. He loves you and he wants to be in relationship even with you. That's what we talked about in uh, week one. Now, last week we talked about that in order to to demonstrate and to show and to prove this love uh, that Jesus Christ himself walks through all the steps of the covenant making ceremony. That when someone, when two people are entering into covenant with one another, there's all these steps that they have to walk through in order to solidify the covenant. And as we look at what's happened in the Old Testament, and then we, look, we go to the New Testament, we, we see how Jesus Christ himself walks through those steps of the covenant so that you and I can be in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, so that you and I can live victoriously in this life, so that you and I may, may know and, and, and uh, experience the tremendous love of God through Christ and the empowerment of his spirit. Uh, if you missed last week, I highly encourage you to catch up on that because I feel like that is a foundation to faith is understanding this idea of the covenant and how in these steps of the covenant and how Christ has walked through all of those. You may not know, but we podcast all of our messages so you can just search Emmaus Road on iTunes and uh, have it up there. It's also, we stream it from our website. So if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it because I feel like that's such a critical message uh, for our time. Now, so today um, I want to talk to you about Angry Birds. <laughs> and I told you about this uh, at the first week of this series, and uh, I'm really excited about it. So let me tell you about Angry Birds. It's a game, and uh, it's 99 cents, and it is the best dollar you'll ever spend. 
Okay, so it's available on the iPhone platform. I'm not getting paid by the developers of, of Angry Birds or Steve Jobs to, to give this little commercial. Uh, but if you have an iPhone and you don't have Angry Birds, uh, I will personally pay that $1 for you to enjoy this, okay? So uh, maybe some of you will take me up on that, some of you won't. It's also available on the Android platform. Uh, you know, so those of you that... I don't understand why, but you don't, you know, you have a smartphone and it's not an iPhone. I don't get that, but that's okay. Uh, you've gone with the Android platform. It's available there too. Uh, the whole premise of the game is that these pigs, as you saw in the video, pigs have stolen the eggs of these birds and they are angry and they are trying to uh, defeat the fortresses of the, that the pigs have built around themselves. And in the meantime, not only destroy the fortress, but destroy the pigs as well. Does this make sense? My daughter, Jaden, is proficient in, in iOS. Uh, that's the platform that the, you know, iPhones, iPod touches, those kinds of things. She can launch her own apps. She can slide her thumb across to unlock it, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and she calls all these games that I have on my phone silly games. And so she oftentimes will, will crawl up on my lap and say, I want to play a silly game, Angry Birds. <laughs> and that, when she says that, my heart just gets so warm, you know? <laughs> And then Amy, in the, living, in the living room, hears all this destruction, and she asks, is that game violent? And I said, and I always say, no, not really. You know, no, not really. They're just, we're just killing pigs and breaking some ice and wood and all this kind of stuff. It's, it, we're good to go. All right, so that's the storyline of the game. And what I'm going to advocate to you today is that Angry Birds uh, is, is actually an idea that comes from the Bible. That's what I'm going to argue, right? That's what I'm going to advocate. Is that the original Angry Birds are actually found in Scripture. Angry Birds were around way before the iPhone game, way before they developed it for other platforms. Uh, I want to talk to you today about biblical Angry Birds. Now, in order to kind of set the stage and set the tone of, uh, and make this connection, right? We have to understand and remember the seventh step of the covenant-making ceremony. Does anyone, been studying your study guide that I gave you last week, uh, just remember that? Uh, does anybody remember the seventh step of the covenant-making ceremony? Anybody? Blessings and curses. Yes, very good. Somebody was studying this week, all right? So the seventh step of the covenant-making ceremony is that the two covenant partners would pronounce blessings and curses over one another. In other words, if you keep the outlines and the parameters of this covenant, blessed shall you be and your family be and your descendants and your possessions and your household. Blessed shall all of these things be if you uphold the parameters of this covenant. But on the opposite side, it is cursed shall you you be if you don't uphold the parameters of this covenant. In other words, cursed shall you be, shall your children be, shall, shall your family and your possessions be. In fact, if someone did not uphold the covenant, they would in fact be killed. That was the penalty of not upholding the parameters of the covenant. Was cursed shall all of your family and your possessions be. And you who are in covenant and don't, don't uphold those, you will be killed. That's what, that was the outline of the parameters. And what we see is we see evidence of this all over scripture. So I want to read to you some Old Testament passages that actually illustrate these blessings and these curses. Uh, it's found in Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. But Deuteronomy chapter 28 Starting with verse 11 is the pronouncements of blessings and prosperity. Listen to this. 
The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land that he swore to, the, to your ancestors to give you. The Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty. He will send rain on your land in, the sea, in season. He will bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you a head and not the tail. If you pay attention to the commandments of the Lord, your God, I will give to you this day. And if you carefully follow them, you will always be on top and never at the bottom. In other words, there's this idea that as we walk in obedience with God, we're going to experience the blessing of God in our lives. And it's, it's sitting here and he's pronouncing the blessings of the covenant on the, on those who follow the commands. Now, just two verses later, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, we see the curses of the covenant. He says, so the, the hinge word in 15 is however, right? So we've just pronounced all of these blessings. And then we say, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and you do not carefully allow or follow all of his commandments and decrees that I am giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and they will overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and you will be cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs, lamb of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and you come to sudden ruin because of the evil that you have done in forsaking him. Now, pretty radical stuff, right? But again, biblical evidence of this covenant language of blessing and curse, blessing and curse. Now, what we learn again in the New Testament and under the new covenant is that Christ has become the curse for us, right? That's the good news. Galatians 3.13, he who hangs on a tree is cursed, right? Jesus Christ takes the curse upon himself so that the blessing is passed on to us, but the curse is not under the new covenant. But here in the Old Testament, we find this evidence. Now, let's, let's continue on in these kind of, of veins of these, cursed shall you be if you walk in disobedience, and let's listen to the language of birds. It's a really interesting theme that comes up in the Old Testament as, as the pronouncement of curses come about. All right, Are you guys following me? I know that talking about pronouncement of curses is not very exciting, but I promise you that we're going to end with hope. Okay, right? Good news always ends with hope. Right? And that's what the gospel is. It's good news. Okay? So let's look at a couple other passages in the Old Testament as we look at this theme of birds and angry birds begin to rise up. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 28, same chapter, just a couple verses after I stopped reading uh, in, in the last time we were reading there with the curses. It says this, The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze. The Lord shall cause you to be defeated by your enemies, and your carcasses will be food to all of the angry birds. I added the word angry. Your, food, your, your carcasses will be food to all the angry birds of the sky and to the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. This is key. There will be no one there to frighten them. That is the birds, the angry birds. No one there to frighten them away. Jeremiah 34, 18 and 20. I will give uh, the men who have transgressed my covenant. I mean, there it's made explicit. I will give men who have transgressed my covenant, who have tran transgressed, that one's hard to say, say that three times fast, who have transgressed my covenant, 
who have not fulfilled the words of the covenant which were made before me. And when we cut the calf in two and pass between its parts, right? We talked about this. That's the sacrifice and the walk of death. He says, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and in the hand of those who seek their life. And their dead bodies will be food for the angry birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth. Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 33. The dead bodies of his people will be food for the birds of the sky the beasts of the earth, no one will be there to frighten them away. Over and over and again, and when we look at this pronouncement of the curses, these themes rise up. Number one, to those of the dead bodies, the carcasses will become food for the angry birds, and then uh, there will be no one there to frighten them away, right? This theme comes up over and over. Someone please help me. What in the world is up with the angry birds, right? I mean, what is going on with this kind of theme in Scripture? And it's something that we would never pick up on except for angry birds. Has, our, our awareness of angry birds have just been heightened by this wonderful game, right? <laughs> okay, so here we are. What is the deal with the birds? Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And uh, let, let's figure this out and see how Jesus begins to understand uh, these kinds of of birds. Mark chapter 4. I want to read to you the first 20 verses. Uh, what, we, what we really need is just found in a couple verses, but I think it's important for us to, to get the whole idea of the context um, so that we can begin to understand what is going on here. So Mark chapter 4, I want to read the first 20 verses to you. It says this, Now again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into the boat He sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. And as he scattered the seed, some fell along the path and the birds, the angry birds, came and ate it up. Now, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. So when it sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, the the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Now other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil and it came up and it grew and it produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked about these parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, maybe ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might churn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then can you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. And some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. But as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now others, like seed, have been sown on rocky places. They hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they will, not la- they will only last for a short time. And when trouble or persecution come because of the world, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in. They choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds, others, like seed sown in good soil, hear the word. 
accept it and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. What we have here is a parable of Jesus Christ. And the disciples come to him and they say, we have no idea what you're talking about. And why are you speaking to us in parables? Or why are you speaking to us in riddles? And and, and so Jesus says, listen, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any parable. So let me break it down for you, right? And he basically gives them the understanding of this parable and this riddle that he provides for them. And what he essentially says is that the seed that is sown on the path and then the birds take it away. That's what was said in the parable. But essentially what that means is that sometimes the word of God is sown into your and I's life. But it is the intention of of the angry birds, Satan. I just said the angry birds are Satan. Right? It is the intention of Satan to steal away that which was sown in your life. I don't know if you're anything like me, but if your experience is, is, is anything like mine, it sometimes goes like this. Um, we come on Sunday. We have a great service. Uh, we, we experience the presence of God. Uh, the, the preaching is halfway decent. The music is great. Right, And we come and we, we just bask in the presence of God and the goodness of community with others. And then we wake up Monday morning and, and, and it's like we just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Or we wake up and we realize that, that we forgot about something. Or we wake up and we get that phone call that ruins the rest of our week or our month. I don't know about you, but any time and most times that I begin to experience the presence of God in a very powerful way and a seed is sown in my life where I come on Sunday, I'm reminded of the goodness of God. I'm made confident in the faith that he's given me. I'm made confident in who he is and his ability to overcome any challenge. And then first thing Monday morning, I get some kind of news that begins to challenge that very confidence that I once had. Anybody with me? I don't mean to be um, weird about this, and I don't mean to be scary about this, but I just feel like that as you and I live as covenant partners with God through Jesus Christ, we need to understand that there is an enemy of your life. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be super weird, or, and I'm not, I'm not just trying to say the devil made you do it, then you blew it, right? And put that up on your fridge. I'm just trying to tell you and make you realize that there is an enemy of your life. There are angry birds that are trying to steal the egg of God's work in your life. And he will do anything to derail what God is doing in your heart. He will do anything he can to derail the work of God in your life. Um, man, it may, sometimes it may be like, it, it may be even in a moment, he senses that seed of God working in your life and the enemy wants to come in and steal it. Maybe there's a song that we sing on Sunday morning Like how he loves, man, that's a phenomenal song. And it touches a lot of people every time we sing it. But my guess is that for some of you, you are just about to be moved by that song. You are just about to enter into a true and authentic worship with God where you are not worried about anything else. You are are just loving your creator. And in that moment, the enemy comes in and wants to steal that seed of worship in your life. 
And he wants to tell you, that music is way too loud. He wants to tell you, JD is shredding a little bit too hard, right? (laughs) And some of you say, amen. Some of you say, oh boy, right? And just about as you're ready to enter into worship, the enemy wants to come in and steal that. He wants to pluck that seed of God's work in your life away. Maybe, uh, maybe there's a sermon that you hear and it challenges you to respond to God. You feel your heart pounding and you feel the Holy Spirit working in your life, in, in calling you, inviting you into relationship, inviting you into response, inviting you into to some sort of level of obedience in your life that you've not reached before. And the enemy says, what will your friends say? And the enemy says, God is going to rob you of all the good things in your life. And you begin to doubt and you begin to do all these things. And just as that seed is getting ready to be planted, the angry birds come in and they try to pluck that away. I know this isn't very encouraging, but we need to realize this. We need to be aware of the work of the enemy in our lives. I I want to be super upfront with you. Uh, And and let me just tell you that I am upfront and honest with you, not... Uh, so that you all can feel bad for me or so that you all can say, you know, yeah, you need, really need to boost that confidence. I am a confident leader, uh, assured of my call of God, uh, but I'm transparent with you and share stories, really honest stories about my life, uh, because I feel like that it will help you understand how to apply the truth of God in your life. And so what you, what you don't know, um, what you do know is that on Sunday mornings you feel crowded. What you don't know is that we've been setting attendance records like crazy in this church. God is, is working. And it's, just, it's, not just, it's just not more people in seats. It's like God is, is changing lives. God is working in all of you uh, through, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we are so excited about that. So as we've been breaking attendance records over the last four or five weeks... It has been the hardest season of ministry for me. And it's just one of those things where I've got to realize that as God desires to move mightily on our behalf as a local church, that the enemy is going to come in and try to thwart that. He's going to try to destroy the momentum that God has built. To which I want to say and just proclaim that God is bigger than the enemy in our lives. That he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And this is meaningful words for me today. Because there's an angry bird in your life that wants to try to steal the seed of God. And I want to encourage us today. Don't let him do it. Stand up through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot be defeated. And we will uphold. And the fortress of faith cannot be destroyed that has been built around us by some stupid angry bird trying to butt his head into our business. And so I just want to tell you that in many ways, as, as, as my faith struggles along with yours, may we be rest assured that we serve a God who is far greater than the enemy. But may we also realize that indeed there is an enemy who is trying to thwart the work of God in your life and in my life and in this church. Have you ever noticed, some of you may know this, especially those of you that have given your life over to Christ recently, that as soon as you turn your life over to God or as soon as you turn your life back over to God and and you plant that seed and you make a a determination that you're going to follow him and you're not going to turn your back, that this is time, this is is it, this this is the decision that I've made for the rest of my life. 
It will not be long before the enemy calls into question your belief system. And it will be through a conversation with a friend, through something you see on TV, something you hear on the radio. It is just, it, it got the, the angry bird, Satan, will begin to pluck away those little seeds at a time and begin to question the decision that you've made for Jesus Christ. Or, or you'll make a decision for God. And sometimes the gospel is sold to you like a product that if you just place this product in your life and you wipe it all over yourself, then your life is going to be better. And that's not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus will be there to walk through those times with you. Not that he won't allow those things to happen to you. Right. But sometimes you've been the, the gospel has been misrepresented to you. You give your life to Christ and then something awful happens. You lose a loved one. You, you, you get some news that, that you get a, you're going to get a pay cut. You're laid off at work. And you're like, Jesus, I thought that if I was following you, that you were supposed to fix all this. And what I would encourage us in those times is not to deny the existence of God, but simply recognize the existence of an enemy who wants to steal away whatever seed of, that God has planted in your life. And I don't know, I, there's a big theological question of whether God is causing those things or the enemy is causing those things. And the answer is, I don't know. I don't know if God is allowing or causing or what power the enemy has been given to, to do those things in your life. But what I do know is that if after a seed of God has been planted in your life and you find the disastrous news the next day, the next week, the next month, it is far better for you to not deny the existence of the creator who loves you, but to, to recognize the existence of the enemy. And, and rather than turn away from God, turn to God because he has promised to walk with you through that time and 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 through his power you can find victory in that challenge and i'll tell you i've had to remind myself of that as i've gone through those things as, as i've seen people go through those things i have had to encourage people do not deny the existence of god do not deny his love for you for scripture is clear but simply rather than than move away from god during those times it is time to lean in to god And let him show you his tremendous power. And let him demonstrate his love for you. So sometimes we turn our life over to God. And then it's stolen away. Or sometimes we we make a decision for Christ. And and then we walk through a breakup. Right? I mean, just as as that seed is being sown into our life, we, 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 we lose that relationship that has been so... So close. And again, I don't know all the reasons why or how or who. I simply know this. In those moments, it is the will and intention of God to encourage you and to walk through that challenge with you. And it is the will and the intention of the enemy to lie to you. That in those moments of difficulty, God wants to come alongside of you if you'll allow him and help you walk through those things. But the devil, he wants to pluck that seed away and take this thing, whether he caused it, whether God caused it, whether it was just coincidence, I don't know. But we, we have to walk in the reality of this difficulty is here. It is the intention of the enemy then to begin whispering lies in your ear and saying, you know what? God doesn't really love you. And you know what? You really can't do it. And Jesus wants to say, 
because of my blood and because of my cross and resurrection, you are more than a conqueror, as Romans says. You can walk through this. I am with you, and I do love you. So during those times, don't buy into the lie of the evil one because it is his every intention to lie to you. Now, and take that seed away. Essentially, what I want to do is, is as God's word transforms us, there are always birds of prey waiting to pluck the seed away before it takes root in our lives. Before it can really grow, and before that seed can bear fruit. So whenever God does something profound in our hearts, the enemy shows up to try to diminish that impact in our lives. That's, that's essentially what this parable is, is saying. God tells this story about birds coming and eating seeds off of a path. And then Jesus said, brings it right home and says that you and I, are, there are seeds of God, of the word of God being sown into our life. But Satan comes and plucks those things away. And so we must begin to work against the enemy, to uh, withstand the enemy. But before we can do that, I feel like it's really important to at least draw some sort of illustration from this phenomenal iPhone game of how the devil works in our life, right? Because in, in, the, bird, in, in the game Angry Birds, what, what you saw is that these different birds have different abilities. Uh, so one is, is kind of puny. It just plops in there, gives the, you know, the best bang that it can get, and it just breaks a board or two. There's another bird that, that splits into three and, and can crush any ice. There's another bird that is, is, uh, speeds up when you tap the screen so it can bust through lots of pieces of wood at a time. And there's another bird, the bomb bird. My favorite when I'm playing the game. But when I'm making an illustration about the work of the enemy in my life, my least favorite. Right? It's the bird that they can blow up in our lives. And it is the very nature and intention of the enemy to use whatever means to get to your life. And so sometimes he'll come at you with just a little plunk and you hardly will even notice that he's there. Other times he'll split into three and he'll hit your life in, in, in different areas, in different ways, but all at the same time. And, and, and the three of them, just to separately, wouldn't make any impact at all. But the three of them together begin to place that seed of doubt in your life. And then other ones, they come in and, and you don't even see them coming. Because they sped up somewhere along the way, right? I mean, they, they were launched and then they sped up. And they started causing all kinds of, 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 of havoc in your life. And then other times... Satan comes into our life and he just blows up. See, Satan will use whatever is, is best. Because these three, um, these three birds are best used against certain kinds of material in the game. The, the bird that splits into three can break through ice like it's nothing. But if you knock it into a piece of board, it won't make any difference. And if you try to break ice with the, the bird that speeds up, it will maybe break a piece or two, but if you break it into wood, it will do all kinds of damage. 
And the point in the illustration is that simply the enemy knows what kind of bird to use on what part of your life. And so we must simply be aware. Again, I'm not trying to spook anybody. I'm not trying to be weird about this. I just, we need to know as we walk in covenant with God through Christ that there is an enemy in our lives that has every intention to lie to us and to, to thwart the faith that is seated in us. And so the question is, what do we do? Right? I mean, you all would leave pretty discouraged if we just said a prayer right now. And you, I mean, you would walk away saying, wow, that stunk. <laughs> right? I mean, you're probably like, hey, how many times have you been here? Three, I'm never coming again, you know? <laughs> right? So we need, to, we need to understand that just as real as the enemy is in our lives, so is the power of Christ in our lives. So is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to withstand the work of the angry birds and the enemy in our lives. I want to give you uh, just some ideas of, of how to, to do this. Because um, remember in, in, in Scripture, in these passages in Jeremiah and Deuteronomy, uh, there, it says these angry birds come in to peck at the flesh of the carcasses. And then it says this really interesting phrase. It says, and no one will be there to scare them away. No one will be there to frighten the birds away. Now, if you remember back to week one of our series in Genesis chapter 15, as Abram is entering into covenant with God, what does it say? It says that birds swooped down trying to steal away what is being done. And then it says, but Abram frightened them away. In other words, these birds come down and it's this, this whole symbolism of at the very moment where Abram is going to make a covenant with God that will ensure the line of Christ that will forever change the world. Satan comes in and he's trying to thwart that. He's trying to derail it. He's trying to stop it. But Abram, a great man of faith, frightens the birds away. And so what you and I need to know is that as the birds come down in our lives, we've got to have some tools of how to frighten the birds away so that we can withstand the work of the enemy in our lives. Does that make sense? Really, really interesting and powerful how the Bible uses this consistent imagery of birds coming down and then either frightening them away or no one being there to frighten them away. Really, really interesting stuff. And so let me give you some, some clues and some keys. And, and the first key that I want to give you, we talked about uh, three weeks ago in the last series, last um, message of our series, New Through 30. Um, where we were talking about uh, victory and living victoriously in Christ. And uh, what we find in Revelation is that Satan is indeed thrown into the earth and thrown down to the earth to wreak havoc. We see that imagery in Revelation chapter 12. But then we also find how we are to defeat the devil. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, And then they, that is you and I, the people of God, they defeated him, that is Satan, the dragon who has been hurled down to the earth, by the blood of Christ and the word of their testimony. And since we talked about that three weeks ago, I don't want to dwell on that or, or, or talk a lot about that, but I simply want to remind us, because chances are, 
Is God sowed the seed of confidence, of victory in your life? Three weeks has gone by, and the devil may be already trying to steal that victory. So let me remind you of the victory that is possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the word of your testimony. That the devil has already been defeated. All he's trying to do is wreak havoc in your life. The victory does not belong to him because the victory has already been won. And so what we need to do is what we need to remind ourselves of those victory declarations that I gave you three weeks ago. So let's... Let's look at them. The victory is already mine through Christ. Now, I'm not a big fan of this, but I think it's, there's power in saying those words out loud. So I want you to repeat after me. Those of you who think that's lame in church, you can be quiet. But I want you to hear. I want you to repeat after me. The victory is already mine through Christ. Come on. That's right. Through faith. I am made righteous. And called a child of God. God. Amen. The battle has already been fought. And I am victorious through Christ. Christ. You proclaim that over your life. That the power of the blood and the word of your testimony is a great way to withstand the devil in your life. You find yourself tempted. Man, just proclaim that truth over your life. That I'm a child of God. And I'm made righteous through faith in Christ. And watch how the Holy Spirit keeps you from doing that thing. Keeps you from believing the lie that Satan is trying to plant in your heart. And steal away in your heart. Powerful, powerful stuff. So the victory declarations out of Revelation 12, chapter 11. Are a great way to withstand the work of the angry birds in our life. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4. Verses 1 through 11 is tempted. And uh, he is tempted by the devil. You and I are often tempted by the devil. And, and, and a lot of us who grew up in the church, we know that story well. And, and in fact, uh, you've heard this message before. That the best way to resist the temptation of the devil is to have the word of God hidden in your heart. And, and, and that's true. Let me tell you, though, why that's important. Because, because I, I just kind of said, well, man, I guess I got to go memorize scripture. I guess I got to go, you know, do all this. And it became this obligatory thing. So let me tell you why this, this powerful kind of withstanding of the, of, of the enemy in our lives by, by pronouncing scripture and why that's so powerful in our lives. Because the enemy is telling you a lie. He's going to lie to you. He's going to try to push you in a different direction that's not according to the will of God. He's going to try to do, get you to do something that is not in line with what, what God would have for you in your life. And so what he is saying to you is indeed a lie. And we need to have the truth of God in our heart in order to recognize the lie. Right? I want to move it to a whole different level that, that we need to understand that unless we, we formulate the word of God in our life through memorization, through reading God's word, that truth becomes more and more acute in our heart so that when we hear a lie, we recognize it for what it is. But if the word of God is not in us, if we're not regularly in the word of God, we will hear a lie and begin to believe it. And man, have I believed some lies in my day, right? And chances are you probably have too. But as we were reading New Through 30 at the beginning of the year, 
God reminded me of how powerful his word is when it is prioritized in our life because it gives us a regular dose of the truth of God, the word of God. It begins to plant in our hearts. Every time you pick up your Bible and read it, every time you memorize a verse, it is the seed of God being sown in your heart, right? And since it's a seed, the enemy is going to try to steal that. Oh, the next day, you know, we, we read scripture. We, we feel like God is speaking to us. The next day, maybe we read scripture and it's boring. It's routine. And so the next day, we just stop altogether. And then we realize we haven't read scripture in a week. I better pick it back up again. God speaks to us. It's fresh. It's alive. We do that for a couple days. And then the, the, the enemy wants to steal away that seed. So the discipline of having and instilling the word of God in our lives helps us to recognize a lie when we see it and trumpet with the truth. Amen? Amen. That's why it's important. It's not an obligatory thing. It's not a guilt-ridden thing. It's just a, man, you need this to withstand the work of the enemy in your life and to ensure the work of God in your life. Powerful, powerful stuff. Mom, by the way, how are you doing with your New Through 30 reading? Right? It's not over until it's over, right? It's not over until you have hit the end of Revelation chapter 22. And then what I would encourage you to do is start another reading plan. Because if you don't have a plan, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. I used to think, I'm a preacher. I'm way above Bible reading plans. And then I realized, no, I'm not. Because if I don't have a plan, I'm going to turn to the passage for the message that week. And that's where I'm going to be. And I'm not going to use the word of God to, to build into the rest of my life, right? And so I need a Bible reading plan. Chances are you do too. Uh, so once you finish that new through 30, and if you stopped, pick it back up and then start again. Uh, I was doing a, a Bible through the year plan before we started new through 30, finished new through 30, and just got right back on track. I missed 30 days, but I'm not worried about that, right? I just start today. I'm supposed to read this according to my plan and allow God to speak through that and allow God to work in you through that. Because as we dose ourselves in the truth, we will be real, we'll be empowered to recognize a lie when we see it. Does that make sense? Are these tools helpful? I hope so. They've been helpful to me. If nothing else, I'm preaching to myself. Uh, the, the last one I want to give you is, is out of Ephesians chapter 6. And this is, uh, of course, the armor of God passage. And because uh, I, I believe that um, we are not left on our own to withstand the enemy. We are not left just to our own strength and our own resources to defend the work that the enemy desires to do in our lives and the lie that he wants to tell us. God has equipped us with it's called what, what, what is listed there is the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. And the helmet of salvation. Now what's really interesting about all of those things is that they are not our own things. Right? God does not say, put on the shield of your best effort. And wear the helmet of the best faith that you can conjure up. Right? The scripture says we put on the belt of truth. All truth belongs to God. 
And so we place that, the truth of God in our lives and for our lives. And we place it on us as a, as a way to withstand the enemy. That's exactly what Ephesians 6 says. Take on all of this armor so that you can withstand the work of the devil or the enemy in your life. And so we're given the belt of truth. Truth does not belong to us and it does not belong to the enemy. Truth belongs to God and God alone. And it's given to us as we place it over our lives so that we can withstand the work of the devil. Then we're glad given the breastplate of righteousness. Let me give you a newsflash. It is not the breastplate of your righteousness. It is the breastplate of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we place on our lives so that we can withstand the work of the evil one. And then we're given the shield of faith. And a lot of times we place our faith as something that, that, that is our own. But scripture in Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the pioneer of our faith. We could not have faith were it not for the work of Jesus Christ in the first place. And so we place on and we put on the shield of the faith of Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we can walk more perfectly in the ways of God and withstand the devil. Careful now or I'm going to start preaching and spitting even further right I apologize to you all on the front row you're gonna shower today and we put on the helmet of salvation right salvation is not on our own is nothing that we could do on our own it is a gift from God that we are given so that we can walk in accordance with the will of God all of these things belong to God they find their source in God And we are told to place them on and over our lives so that we can withstand the devil. Let me tell you that there is no structure, there is no angry bird that can withstand the the shield and the structure that is placed around us through faith in Jesus Christ. We can withstand the enemy because he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. So don't let those angry birds steal what God is doing in your life, but rather call on the name of Jesus as your covenant partner. And he will help you to scare them away. He will help you to frighten them away so that you can live in victory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, you are so good and we are thankful. Um, for this, this armor that you have given to us. It is not something that is our own or comes from us, but rather it is the armor that you have, you have placed and formed and you have given it to us as a gift to withstand the devil. God, we find great encouragement that in understanding the covenant that even though the devil is our enemy, he's your enemy and that you've got our backs. And so God, I pray that as, as some, some here are, are even this morning facing great discouragement um, and, and you've, you've planted a great seed in their life, but the enemy has come in. He's telling lies. He's trying to pluck that seed away. He's trying to do all that he can to wreak havoc in our lives and in our faith. And so, God, I pray that in your name and through the power given by the, by the Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to withstand the work of the enemy in our lives, that you would uh, allow us to stand strong, to maintain faith, to keep our, our, our love, and to walk in victory with you. God, may it be possible through you. May we not take the credit, but recognize it belongs to you. And Lord, help us to live 
as people who are truly covenant partners and who take on these, this armor of faith and the armor of God. God, we love you. We're thankful for this truth. We're thankful, Lord, for the power of your word and the power of this truth of the covenant as we look at it in scripture. And so God, would you teach us and would you show us how to live more perfectly for you each and every day? We love you, Lord. And we ask these things in the power and the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.